Product Quest podcast. Last episode, we learned from Biot Walther about the job-to-be-done roots of the customer-focused innovation process, or CFI. In this episode, we continue the conversation, going deeper into CFI, walking through it step-by-step. Let's pick up the action with our moderator, Jan. Can we just maybe give a short overview of, of, well, let's take the CFI process because I think a lot of it is similar. So just give a short overview of what this is, and then we go back to, because then probably will be more clear on what we mean when, because language, I think, is a very important point that you that you raise. So could you maybe just describe like, what is what is CFI, what are the steps, and then, and then we'll go back to this language. Yeah. CFI is, is a, a very simple, very flexible process to apply jobs to be done and to com- combine different, different tools and methodologies that exist since many years um, into one integrated process. Um, the purpose of this process is to select and target the winning, the winning ideas. We have found that companies don't, we don't have a, an idea problem. Companies don't have a lack of ideas. They have too many ideas. So a typical example is uh, we just have that recently development project for a uh, software prototype was built with user research in an agile form. Very nice prototype, 120 features. Which are the features we should build? Which are the features where consumers will pay for? Or teachers, it was in that, in that context, will pay for? What are the hero features? So this process really identifies where are the pain points and matches then, for example, the solution ideas with these pain points. The process runs, is, I said it's simple, it's four steps. It's, it's frame, discover, spin, and develop. Um, pretty classic, very similar to a design thinking process, bit more simple, um, and it has some, some, some clear elements in there. And it has some, some tools in there. So example, frame and discover is solution-free, strictly solution-free. Yeah. Um, and, and that's also what, what, what we do when we work with clients. Um, we, we, we like to do the interviews ourselves because we see that clients typically very often fall into the solution trap. So frame and discover is solution free. Um, frame includes really understanding the business, the mm-hmm. business of the business purpose, the business goal of this project. So we ask ourselves, what is the job of jobs to be done? The job of jobs yeah. to be done, in our view, is, is to achieve growth. Healthy growth for a company, for example. That could be a job, that's a job of jobs to be done. So the, the frame really includes this business perspective and we spend time to understand the business. Mm. Then there is, there is a, the hierarchy. There are some tools in there. I don't have to go into details, but there's some tools to to not get lost in jobs to be done. Uh, that's, yeah, that's I was just going to say, I think that's a very important point. So I was just going to ask, why is this business intention so, so important? Why, or why is there is this danger of getting lost in jobs to be done? Well, the, why is the business intention important? Is uh, the, the, the way, it, it all depends on what is the target. I mean, 
And business, if business intention is to grow, there needs to be a source of growth. This has to come from users. Who are those users? So it already defines the target group. You have to define the target group. And, and many companies don't think about this. They go in a new market and say, okay, we, we, will, we will grow in this market. But where is the, what is the source of business? Where is it coming from? And then the, why well, get lost in jobs to be done? I mean, jobs to be done is such a simple, intuitive concept um, that everyone understands. You read a, you read a book. Yeah. You don't have to even read a book. You hear a quote, uh, drill, drill and hole in the wall, and, and you think you know what jobs to be done. So, mm. but then the work starts and then suddenly they get lost. Yeah, why do I want to have a hole in the wall? What's the job? Oh, I want to fix a shelf or hang up a painting. Why do I want to hang up an artwork? Oh, I want to impress my, 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 the visitors, my friends coming to me. Why do I want to impress the friends? Yeah. And, and then they, you see already, or, they, or, or also framing. So that's why we create a very, very simple, logical hierarchy to structure and scope the job mm. to be done where we want to focus on. Tony calls this the core job, I think. We call it focus job. We have this hierarchy, higher up, lower down, what happens before, what happens after. And this is like a hypothesis. This is just a, a model, a model of the consumer needs, as good or as bad as a model is. And that's typically framed with the job hierarchy. And then comes this uh, shall I expand on this or is it okay? Just no, I think it just, I'm oh, sorry, go on. A comment on that. I think uh, um, it's just like you said, I think people, they grasp the initial jobs you've done and, and then they, oh, they over or they overestimate their understanding of it. Or another way, they underestimate the work that's now to be done to frame the project. And a mistake I see companies make is going too fast through that framing, where it just almost, it takes, and I don't even know how to tell them how long it takes because I don't know how much disagreement you have internally. The more, the more disagreement you have, the longer we had talk about it. And I, I don't know how long that converse, I don't know how to say a conversation takes an hour. It takes 30 hours. I, I it's hard to pr predict. So, I love the big focus on that. And um, I've, I've experienced this exact same phenomenon. It's nice, it's nice that it's um, that the jobs be done uh, concept is so intuitive, but it's almost deceptive in that yeah. it, 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 it's, um, it, does, it hides the amount of work that's to be done. It's, it's simple, but it's still a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it does the concept also not justice because what I expect will happen is um, in, a, in a few years from now is everyone will have tried jobs to be done. Many have failed and then we'll say jobs to be done is useless. Or they'll say it's too complicated or something. Oh, it's too complicated. So, yeah. But I think this is really worth emphasizing. So this is, and I think many make kind of a similar experience or they start reading about somewhere or for they, they start reading a book uh, or maybe an article here and there. And then when you have to apply to your actual industry, to your problem, mm -hmm. then either you go either two ways. Either you overcomplicate. So there's two dangers. You overcomplicate things and then you have a list of a thousand jobs. I mean, we had that when we worked with the Swiss railways, they tried it out a little bit mm -hmm. and 
then you have a list of a hundred different jobs and you, and you don't know wh which one to focus on. And then, or the other one is you, you really think it's too complicated. You get, you, you, you really, you leave it out or you, you, or you put on also just the label. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen some, well, okay. We shouldn't be bashing others, but anyway, like just writing a sentence or two, whatever you think is job jobs to be done is, and then call it jobs to be done. And then it doesn't work. Right. So mm -hmm. that can also happen. But I think this framing phase we, we, we have in, in our process is really, as you mentioned, Scott, is something that we, we really take good care because you can speed up later on. But if, you, if you're wrong in the, in the framing phase, if you're too quick in the framing phase and you don't really think about this, it's garbage in, garbage out. Bian, I think you appreciate this. The, um, uh, the, way, I per, the way I learned this, this, this job hierarchy you described I learned that before learning jobs and I learned it from men ambassador that I referred to from P and G. So <laughs> I don't know how much it's one of those things. I just learned from him. So I don't know what was of his own creation and what he had drawn from other sources. I don't know. To me, he was the source, but I learned this idea of this hierarchy of problems. And so when I later learned jobs to be done, I took, I just, I took that and just, and it was very, it was a very easy match to make. And it's just, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you and I have not had this conversation before, but it's that you described exactly the conclusion that I came to, but I find it a little amusing that I learned that from somebody at, at P and G that the, again, it was this hierarchy. There was not that it was like this levels of you went up to ask why is something a problem and you would go down to say what's stopping you. So he called it as why what's stopping analysis. And, and so it was, it was to arrive in, again, we didn't have jobs to be done language as part of this dialogue at that time. This was a long time ago, but it was to arrive at what problem are you going to solve? And so again, it's very much jobs to be done without the, it didn't have the terminology at the time, but there's a, there's a PNG, another PNG connection for you. <laughs> it could be, yeah. There is another com concept, which is called the means end, which, which oh, is yeah. also hierarchy. I mean, it is in the air and, uh, and, and I don't know why we came up with the uh, hierarchy. Now, I think I, I, I shot myself in one, one day, one, one week for three oh, days. Oh, I remember, yeah, yeah. And I wrote an article, a white paper, because I said, what are we doing? What are we doing all the time? And then came out the, the hierarchy. Remember that, Jan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think these were kind of, it's, it, I think if you talk to practitioners, that is kind of one of the first problems they run into, is exactly what's the level of abstraction? What's the altitude at which to go in? because they get lost. And then rather quickly, I think you find something like that hierarchy and you have to find your way around. But there, that's why I like really this, and I think it's Tony, I don't know, I'm not sure, but, but who uses the expression to say jobs to be done is a perspective. Because the, what's important about that is it's a per, perspectives are things you take. You take a certain perspective. And I think it's the same with jobs to be done. You have to decide in what way are we looking at something? And Jobs to be done gives you a perfect, well, for me at least, a perfect language to do this, to describe this really from the customer view. Yeah, so, and something I put in my book, which at the time felt controversial, I don't know if it was or not, which is because like you say, in Frame and Discover, you know, we want to stay solution independent, but a statement I made is whether something is a job or solution is dependent on your perspective. Because, which means... <laughs> 
which me so like you, you very well said it Biot. you know this hole in the wall is that drill a hole is that a job or is it a solution well it's a it if you ask well for what job did you hire this hole you could say oh well, i hired this hole to hang a picture so now from that perspective the hole just became your solution exactly. so yeah. uh, something I, and I think it's important because because some jobs you done practitioners if they're looking through your outcomes, whatever you call them, or your jobs, they're quick to say, well, that's a solution. You can't have that in there, but maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it's a, it's a convert. It's not that simple. It's not that simple where something is in absolute terms is a job or an absolute term, unless you get all the way to the very top. Uh, but which anyway, uh, um, which my, so my personal, my position is the top for a, for an individual is to be at peace and for a business is to be profitable. I'm not, I'm not encumbered by any research or anything. That's just sort of my, my personal opinion. But anyway, other than that one, um, everything else is either a job or a solution based on your, which, which one, where you are, if you're looking up or if you're, if you're looking down. Yeah. yeah so when yeah. we spoke, a few years ago, Beat, I remember you introducing me to this um, this this framework, this hierarchical framework, and you, you distinguish three different different parts, which I, I think could actually be it could be interesting for us to delve a bit into that. So the bigger why, deeper why, and lower how. Um, you told me at the time that the reason you did this was really as a kind of framing tool i mean it's in the framing phase of your four-step process uh, and I, I i think that makes a lot of sense it's a kind of orientation to try and have a take a step back mm -hmm. and take a wide angle view on all the different jobs at different levels of abstraction shall we say for lack of a better word maybe of all the jobs you can potentially do so um I personally think this phase in all uh, flavors of jobs to be done is the biggest challenge and actually the, the, the core step, I think, which um, I, I, is very difficult in practice and also in theory. I think this framing stage is, is really, and, and also the stage where a lot, of, that a lot of people push back on when we talk about jobs to be done. I, I think most of the, the rest of the, of the process, I think people get on board with quite well, but that first stage, uh, people push back on quite a lot. And I think it could be interesting to discuss this a bit. Namely, I think there, there are two kind of, let's say sub issues in the framing. The first one is that there's an infinity of number of jobs out there that you can solve. Um, if you throw in, I don't know if you actually do this in your framework, but sometimes people will add a context to the, the job. So if you add a context, you're kind of making an even bigger infinity of jobs you can go for. And not only that, and you talked about this before, um, if one of your clients saying that they came up with tons of, of different jobs, I think we talk about somehow the bundle of outcomes or of, as you call them, value metrics or error statements or needs. So, which we can maybe explain a bit more later on. But what people don't talk about often is the bundle 
of jobs which make up your your offer. So I think in the framing, there's choosing already, let's say one job, but then there's also, um, there's not only the, the, the reduction in jobs, but there's also choosing some kind of bundle of jobs you're gonna you're gonna address and i and i think this is um, uh, quite a difficult phase of the process and i wondered if you had any thoughts on on this i mean the the few other people have told us how they they tackle this i know it's not an easy uh, question but it's one that interests me personally what we say that this is it's a very good question what we and and uh, i need to i mean if i reflect on this we do we have moved to do a lot of coaching and in the coaching, we help exactly have these discussions with the teams. How do you frame it? How do you frame the hierarchy? And there, often we say, trust the process, trust the user. We are only doing a hypothesis. Because we can sit in a conference room and, and do a job hierarchy hypothesis. Then we sleep over it. Next day, we look at it again and says doesn't feel right okay we do it again we do it again until we feel good and of course it has to link to the business objective of course that that is, is important yeah. when it's about the product that we want to innovate it has to be linked to that and then trust the process means then we go to consumers and they will tell us they will tell us if we are right or wrong in terms of wording in terms of structure and, and this takes out a lot of heat in the pre-discussions. As long as we agree directionally, this is the focus, this is the level of abstraction. Um, then we say, and then we have some sub-steps, but let's, let's leave that to the consumer, to the user. We are clear, we don't wanna go higher up, we wanna go further down because, uh, and then we go into interviews. <coughs> and there we hear, we use a technique, which is a very classic one. We go into the interviews in the first set of three, four interviews. We develop the job map again with the, with the user. Yeah. We, put, we do a card sorting or whatever. And, and we hear about, are oh, they call it differently? Let's call it also differently. Here is a step that we were missing. They were doing, we added in. Here is a step they can't understand. They don't do, so we take it out. And after three, four interviews, we freeze it and say it's good enough. <clears throat> and then we drill deeper on the steps and, and pull out the, these job metrics, the metrics that really uh, tell us uh, where a job is failing and what do they expect as a result, as an outcome, or what do they want to avoid. And these metrics are absolutely crucial and I think only, uh, I mean, Tony understands it. I mean, he has invented outcome-driven innovation before he was talking about jobs to be done. It's about the outcome. We call it the metrics. It's these metrics. And, and, and we, made, we made the experience that the job itself does not help to innovate. It helps only to frame, to, 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 to give the perspective, but then the metrics are really key. Because there you are, there, if they are quantified in some sort, then you understand how many people in a market find them important and are not fulfilled with current solutions. That's really, yeah. that's really uh, the core. 
the metrics is the core of, of jobs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. So as I understand it, you're suggesting that it's this um, framing stage, the choice of the, the job you use, the hierarchical model you, you, uh, you've developed to decide on the level of abstraction you want to go for. And that's a, a conscious decision that you would take in, you know, with the, within the company, potentially, then you go out, talk to some users and then refine. So it's some kind of, there's a kind of iterative process on the, the framing phase. And that's why we can be very fast, trust the process. We do a first hypothesis. We go to users. We don't need a long script for the, for the interviews. We just go in, we have that in our mind. We go through the, to the, to the hierarchy and we explore and we make it right. We refine it. Yeah. That, so the job hierarchy for us is also the interview script, if you want, the interview guide. Yes. And I think actually, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if I cut in a bit too much, but uh, okay. your hierarchy is actually very, it's, it's quite well defined. Do, would you mind maybe um, explaining a bit the different levels? As I mentioned before, you've got the bigger why, deeper why, the lower how. Can you tell us a bit what these different things mean? Yeah. Is. So there is that something has to be in the middle, the focus. And if something is in the middle, then it has to be something up and something down. If you go up, we go to this meaning of life things, the bigger whys of life, the purpose of life. Huh? And that can be okay. I mean, we've done, we've done project in branding, uh, value proposition branding, where you have to be much more emotional. And, and so, so there we go up. But most of the time we go down and we approach what other people call a customer journey. So basically underneath we have steps, which are, but that's the difference to a customer journey. They are solution independent. So, they are so, so I'm sorry. So at the top, you have the bigger why. So it's like the meaning of life kind of stuff, or at least the level above the focus you're on. Is that correct? Yeah. Then you still have the deeper why, or is that but something I, else? I, I talk about the deeper why afterwards. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. It's, a, it's an interesting idea. But the lower how is basically the steps. How do they do it? How do they get this focus job done? And that gives us the scope and forces us to start at the beginning of a job and to end that at the end. So not looking just... Um, so when you talk an example, when you talk about a, let's say, a newspaper, a current project we're doing at the moment for Financial Times, it's a newspaper, a print, I mean, an online, but it starts with getting up in the morning. Yeah. And of course, we are not interested in this process of getting up in the morning, but we know many people read the news first time and they get up in the morning and they get up and, and some even in, while they're still in the bed. So this this habit we know. So that's, that's where we start. And then we end at going to bed. And in this day, for example, the consuming news and consuming knowledge and, and researching happens. So that's one way, that's a way of doing it, but it could have been different, no? Yeah. But this, this could be a way. 
So you have two dimensions. You have the, 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 the abstraction dimension, and then you have the, I don't know how to call it, maybe sequential um, sequential dimension or something like this. The, is the lower how. How do you do it to get the yeah. focus so steps, so different steps. steps yeah, steps. is this this how does does this connect with the job map or something like this? How would because uh, this is something that people have probably heard of the job yeah, map. The, job, right? the universal job map from Lance, I think, was was doing it, and, and Tony is similar. I mean, what I like there is that uh, it is um, it is um, it is also abstract, solution free. Um, it gives a good a good way of, of of thinking through a process. I mean, I think he has you know you have to prepare, the, but maybe it's a bit too uh, academic. But anyway, yeah. But it's very simple. It's it's that's why I say you can approach a customer journey, can get close to a customer journey. Hmm. So this is the, and then there is a. Uh, 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 something before and something after very often there is something happens before and something happens after which can be a different totally different activity so we also want to have that in the radar and then you mentioned the deeper why uh, this this idea with the deeper why we uh, i find it i find it great but it is too complicated <laughs> because every job I mean, first of all, I don't like these what goes around in jobs to be done with the social job and the emotional job. Mm. I think it's a simplification um, and it is also not true. An emotion, for example, is an outcome. Anger is an outcome of a failed product. It can be a functional failure leading to an emotional anger, let's say. So that's why I think it's an oversimplification. So we took Maslow, which people know, which says there is there are basic needs, there are social, there are recognition needs, there are self-fulfillment needs. And we basically said there is a deeper why I do something because I want to create or because I want to have recognition mm. or because I, I want to have company. So we basically took the Maslow uh, concept and put it in the third dimension. And, yeah. and, and then in theory, you have bigger why, lower how, and then you have these five levels of Maslow. And, and it doesn't really help in, in the practic practical work because... <laughs> so it was your interpretation of the emotional yeah. and social jobs. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, it's but, one yeah. of the attempts, I think, was really kind of trying to make okay, what would be a holistic perspective mm -hmm. on what, what, what everything that is around a focused job? Because there is stuff around it. And it, I mean, you can even make it more complex if you like, but, but I don't think that's the direction we want to go to with adding context and so on. But I think that was the purpose. Like, okay, what are the things that we, I mean, if you just say, take five or 10 minutes and brainstorm a couple of jobs that could play a role in the lives of your customer when they use your product. Then you are, we, we, I mean, that, that was the way we used to do it. And then we arrived at something like this. You always have some people that go for, let's say, very stable, universal human jobs. I want to feel secure. And, and that has, can, can be attached to driving a car, can be attached to consuming food. I, wanna, I don't want to poison myself, but all that stuff. 
And that's kind of this Maslow third time stuff that always stays the same. But then in what do you do with that knowledge? It's, it's a little bit hard to then translate that into, into concrete action, but it's there and it's true. So, but that's why we, I think we, at, uh, maybe not even that consciously, but we really stopped talking that much about the deeper why <laughs> in our, you know, at least in our, in our work. But, uh, but I think that was kind of the idea. Like what, what, if you just do a session with, with, with client and, and brainstorm and then arrange them, you will get stuff that is always there. That's the universal stuff. And then the more dependent stuff on the project is bigger why, lower how, and the focus job, mm. more or less. Okay, so that was the framing. <laughs> yeah. Framing. Oh, we, exactly. So. <laughs> but you can imagine in every of these steps, frame, discover, spin, sell, uh, develop, we have um, very practical tools coming out of our work with clients. I mean, CFI has been applied more than 100 times and before there was ODI. So this, there, is, there is like, 100, let's say, 150 projects from yeah. big projects to small ones where we developed these things and some of it really we developed it with, with, our, with our clients. The clients have really gave us the... It's a co-creation effort. CFI is a co-created thing. And, yeah. and these, every step has these, these little tools. Some are not rocket science. Some are basic tools. And some are, we think, are really, really, really uh, unique and useful. Maybe we can talk and spin about it. Yeah. But let's talk about discover. Discover is for us qualitative and quantitative. Qualitative is to explore. In a, in a, with a small number of, of, of uh, users. And then quantitative is to prioritize and say how many users find this important and how many users in a group are, uh, on, uh, on net, uh, are unfulfilled with the mm -hmm. current solutions. And that gives us um, a similar graph than, than uh, ODI <laughs> with importance and fulfillment. Or we have a, a navigator, which basically guides through the, goes through the job steps and highlights along the job journey, where are the, the burning points? You can yeah. use it as a, as a curve. Um, and it allows a lot of analysis, uh, which, we do, which we do with bells and whistles. I mean, we have, we, have, uh, we have a quite powerful tool that is not public where we, where we can analyze these data. And I mean, it, it gives a huge data, um, a huge database of cross data, and you can cross it in all different ways. And our tool does that in, in, a, in a short time um, so that we can follow hypotheses. For example, you can start to cluster um we don't have to go into all the details, <laughs> details. There is a, but i love it the cluster analysis of uh, <laughs> of the statisticians you can cluster you can do cluster analysis with the uh, with, with very very complicated uh, methodologies and, and and we can do the same but we can at least the cluster analysis from a statistician never gives you the same result you can repeat you may, it and you get another result. 
Could you just tell us what cluster analysis is, maybe just in two words? I mean, what, what is that? It's a statistical process to group similar profiles, similar people with similar needs together compared to other clusters of people with also similar needs, but they are different. And a cluster analysis typically gives you three, four segments, which are each from each other different, but in there, they are homogeneous. And then you can look at the profile uh, of these three clusters, and you can say, here is a set of profiles where they are overrepresented. For example, you have uh, younger people are more in this cluster, older people are more in this cluster, uh, rich people are more in this cluster, and, and so on. So you get, you get profiles, and then you can basically tailor a product approach or a marketing approach towards these clusters. So the demographics and psychographics yeah. comes after the segmentation based on the needs. And I think that's a really interesting, and that's a, obviously the, the, the strength of, uh, of all these jobs to be done approaches that you can. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely right. Marketing was doing a long, for a long time the mistake of using demographics or, or psychographics clustering around them and assuming that older people have the same needs, which is not true. Mm. Not uh, always true. Not always true. Rich people have the same needs than poor people. We did a project on um, saving and we could prove with cluster analysis that it's not about wealth. You don't have a different saving behavior if you're rich than if you're poor. It's, it's very, very counterintuitive for the, can you imagine the Swiss banks? But they're much, you know, they're, they're, it's much more like they're the hedonistic spenders, um, but maybe they're entrepreneurs and that's why they're rich. And then they are the savers who are putting every penny aside. Uh, so this is, a, this is a totally different way of looking at the market. So that's discover, with discover, including this, all these analytics. So maybe I think, um, and, and so I think this is, so this framing phase, we have the hierarchy, we go then really out to the customer. That is kind of this um, solution independent or solution free phase where you really want to understand the needs. And it's really also, I mean, it's also the analysis about, is this about understanding the needs? But then, I mean, maybe we can talk about how we started adding the spin phase. I mean, you, I mean, you, and this is you uh, who invented at least using the word spin phase. Uh, how this, uh, why, I mean, we, we could say, okay, we did the hierarchy, we understand the jobs, we did a quality, quantity, quality, and quant, we now know what the problems are, problem solved. Why does, why do we need an additional step? What's, what's, what's in there? Yeah, because the problem is not solved. I mean, companies who don't have the consumer in their DNA, DNA, which are the most companies, the, the classic way is as you described. I mean, in consulting, I was working in consulting. There is, you know, uh, understanding the, the business problem, analyzing, conclusion, recommendation, and then action. Uh, it's, mm. Or in design thinking, it's like observe, uh, and, then, and then you design. But this, this step from solution-free to solution-oriented gives a break. And then people focus again on the, on the solution. And the solution is, 
either technology or it is a work process for a service mm. uh, or it's a business. But then the focus goes again to the technology, let's say. And when, and when they are focusing on how to solve a technical challenge, they forget the consumer, the customer again. So yeah. it's like, we've seen that so many times. Here is the result. We are analytical people. We see the results black and white, and then you see those yeah. again in another direction. So we felt that we have to include a, a phase like a catholic, Cat, not catholic, but catholic, like a catalyst yeah. in between to spin the mm. teams into the right direction and to spin the solutions, this, the, these many ideas are, are around towards the customer. And that was this spin, spin idea. And spin, I mean, comes from spin doctor and uh, it, it works in English, it doesn't work in other languages, but it is really this idea to give it a, a, an impulse uh, yeah. towards the customer when you go from the solution free to the solution. Yeah. And, and we are building up tools very practical, useful tools to make this um, to make this uh, work. For example, we have a very simple. We call it pain matching tool. Pain matching means on one side you have all the ideas and the features on, and whatever there is, and on the other side you have the pain points identified in the quant. And now I have a discussion about this matrix. Very simple, and you. It can be done more informal, like Jim Kalbach would do, or you can do it more systematic uh, with points and ratings and so on. But this, this identifies very quickly which of these ideas address pain points, yeah. um, really fully, which ideas that address kind of and can be sharpened so that they address the pain points. And which ideas are really not any adding any value to uh, to the to the to the mark, to the users? Yeah. And and sometimes, although that ha doesn't happen often, is what are the pain points that we have no solution for? And and then there so were the white what are kind of the white spots. Um, I mean, usually companies are, if you have a hundred and two ideas, the likelihood that you hit some of the pain points somewhat is rather high. So, but it happens. I have a fantastic story about, I mean, we were doing a project for the largest art fair in the world. Oh yeah. Art Basel. This is really, I mean, this is an admirable, great company. They are in Miami, Hong Kong, Basel. They're the largest art fair. Target group are collectors of art, which are special animals, huh? And interesting interviews or some of the most interesting interviews to watch <laughs> exactly in my life and then and and our basel was saying hey blockchain will transform our business model digital is transforming our business model so much disruption going on we have to invest into this new technology so they started three years later prototypes built acquisitions done and then the CFO asked at one point in time, uh, <clears throat> I see what it costs, what will it bring at one point in time? And then we did the project. 
So there was a lot of solutions and we found out amongst things that they knew, confirmed the thinking, that there's one big white spot, which is when you buy an artwork, let's say in Miami, and you live in Hong Kong, and you want to put it into your summer house at the, in France. So you have the artwork bought in Miami, US customs, insurance issues, shipping issues, many, many unsexy things not solved. Yeah. That is, for example, an insight which came out, which then led to solutions that they have developed. But very often we see white spots are the things that no one thinks of because it's not sexy. Yeah, but I mean, if you spend couple of millions on a work of art then getting it to that summer house you you're ready to pay you're willing to pay yeah. quite a substantial amount of money because if if that doesn't go well well and and if you can solve this i mean this is also a question i think um going back to the hierarchy discussion i don't want to go back too far but i mean it's also a question of where do companies companies themselves think that their job is done I mean, I think there was, I remember the discussions that we had that at some point it was a realization that, well, but shipping and all the rest, other companies do this. It's not of, it's none of our business. It's not our job. We sell the work of art and then we're done. And I think a lot of, a lot of companies kind of function in the same way. So once the transaction as it were is done, we stop, I mean, they're learning more and more, but we stop caring about, about our customers, but then of course it's it, the job of the customer is not yet finished and it goes on and there are often opportunities afterwards or, or even before the job starts, but just, just a, yeah, an anecdote. So, <laughs> sorry. So that's spin, spin phases. One thing is this pain matching that you mentioned where it's really about finding the hero features, finding the hero ideas, those that really address um, a customer pain point. Is there other, um, so what are a couple of other things that we do when, um, when we. Yeah, speak? we have a, we have a value proposition canvas. I mean, every idea uh, in, a, in an innovation or growth um, a project, we believe every idea needs a, a compelling value proposition. Hmm. And the value proposition can only be compelling if you link, if it links the customer side with the product side. And, and, and basically that's why, that's how we do it. We say on the left side is the customer, just so you can figure it out. Left side is the customer side and then the right side is the company side or the product side. Um, in, the in the middle, there is the, what we call the promise. It's the promise of this idea to the market or of this new product to the market. You can call it claim, you can call it a benefit, but it's really, we call it the promise. And that links the customer side with the product side. On the customer side, we have two fields, if you want. We have the job, what's the goals that you want to achieve? And there we know everything from the job hierarchy and the qualitative exploration. We know what jobs they try to achieve. Yeah. And on the, on the needs, we have the pain points from the quant. What are now the pain points for this customer group? 
And out of this comes the creative process to derive the promise. On the right side, we have the product, but we don't call it the product. We call it the reason to believe. Why should I believe the promise? Mm. That's also proctor thinking. By, by the way, this canvas, Jan, you don't know, but this canvas is a, uh, is a, a copy of a proctor advertising briefing. I did not expect that this talk would turn out into like a, <laughs> that we would celebrate PNG. I mean, I don't mind. It's not that I don't have an issue with that, but it seems like something is in PNG that's good. So, <laughs> so you have these reasons to believe. Why should I believe the promise? Uh, because mm. I have these features that yeah. deliver on the promise. So suddenly <laughs> this reason to believe becomes product features. Mm. And, and if we would translate to, to the to your language, then this the, the promise would be um, it's, um, so wait a minute. So the reasons to believe is actually not within the jobs we done framework necessarily no. because it's it's no. it's it, what connects an attribute or feature of the product to the, the benefit that's uh, that's delivered, right? Um, so the, uh, what would the promise be then in, um, in jobs to be done? And what, what's that? It's the is, bundle is of outcomes? No, yeah, this is a, is a creative process to come to that. And it is a translation of a pain point into a positive. So the pain point is something negative, a failure. Hmm? We don't use gain because I think we, we think it's confusing, but we say it's, this, is, this, is, this is what hurts the customer. And then we translate it positively in terms of a promise. I promise to you to solve this pain point in, in a very short statement. Okay. Yeah. Turning the pain into a positive. Maybe and the pain support. point is the desired outcome in ODI or yeah, value metric need. in your in your yeah. framework. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think I mean a lot of this I think is about a kind of another very difficult step at least in, in applying jobs department because I think at least in well this kind of digital room we all agree that being solution free is very important and that that in innovation we should emphasize being solution free but at one point in time you you're going to have to turn back into solutions you're going to have to translate what you find out about needs back into solutions and that is i think you said a creative process but i mean it it this translation back into okay what now what does the solution need to look like in order to address this pain point and and i think there the value proposition canvas that we have can really i mean gives you a concept or a direction Mm -hmm. or, or that's what my experience of, of applying it that it gives you a direction or teams gives the direction of okay when we know this is the promise we need to deliver on it helps to figure out more precisely what features and benefits or what, what depending then on what the product is that you want to develop really helps you address the pain points because it's very i find it very difficult it's not a one-to-one -one relationship between an unmet need and that is the solution. No. It's very rare that you actually find uh, an unmet need, uh, or it's even against, let's say, jobs without philosophy, that there is no one way of solving that pain point. But that then is, so 
there's the difficulty of, okay, but how then do I solve it? I mean, you as a company have to find a way of, of solving it. And there, I think connecting the problem and the solution again is really where, where, where this value proposition or this concept of a promise to the customer can really help. I call it, I call it pain promise proof. There's a pain, there is a promise, there's a proof. Three Ps. Yeah. Of course, what's, this is quite reminiscent of the uh, means end chain approach uh, somehow. Um, and I, when I was trying to do some of these means end chains myself, it's, a, it's again one of these frameworks that uh, you get quite quickly, but then when you actually go in the weeds and try and do it, you, you, you come up with all sorts of problems. And one problem that I came up with was the fact that it's very difficult often to create a one-to-one -one relationship between the proof and the, the promise. So, in a, for example, ideally you would say this feature, this attribute is what allows me to promise you that, that this uh, pain point has been solved. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's some attribute, but in reality, often it's a combination, a kind of complex combination of, of lots of attributes uh, that kind of... Uh, together uh, emerge uh, allow the emergence of the solution to the specific pain point that you're you're addressing um so I th that was just like a, just a, a remark <laughs> no you're absolutely right and there is some there's a magic sauce in that which we haven't oh. cracked we just do it i mean we just had an example now of this of this uh management club classroom management mm -hmm. we will do a webinar next week on this 120 features the pain points was clearly uh, the job the sub, one of the sub jobs was to manage interruptions of the students uh, so there were always interruptions mm. any fire alarm there will always be interruptions and now the pain point is get back the attention of the, of the students. It was the, one of the biggest pain points. Huh? The promise is, um, which was maybe a bit, bit too marketing promise, but it says one click, 40 eyes on the board. One click, 40 eyes on the board. Huh? So basically this system promises to you that very easily in conceptual words, you manage to grab the attention of the students. That's the value proposition, a very focused value proposition. And then, and then we took technical features that there are, were on the list and kind of framed it so that it promises this attention grabbing. So one feature was called, we called it the attention grabber. And behind that, there was a technical concept of playing something, it was for, for elementary school, playing something on the screen that is funny where everyone has to look. That was the, the, techni technolo the yeah. technology behind it. And, and we call it attention grab. And now the story goes, you teacher have a problem uh, to get back the attention. We have here this one click, 40 eyes on the, on the, on the, on the, on the screen uh, system with the attention grabber, and then it explains the attention grabber. And then we also have the, and then we also have the, they have the sound meter. 
The sound meter they had this already, which basically measures the sound in the class. Huh? Yeah. So this feature was existing. Okay, put this feature in, sound meter is a great idea. So that the class suddenly realizes how loud they are. And it's a meter on the screen shows, I don't know, the decibel in a funny way. I need that for my children. They're so loud. <laughs> Green, yellow, loud. red. I'm like, do you understand how loud? You don't have to shout at each other. You're, you're, exactly. you're, you're two feet away. You know? So you need a sound meter. I need a sound oh. meter. <laughs> you know what I love about those examples? Then I do want to come back to the spin thing, but is that I think a lot of times there's this idea that the solution's got to be some high tech thing or some something, but often it's just, you know, when we stay in confusion when the problem's not well defined. And once it's well defined, it sort of opens up, open the world. But what I, the other thing I really wanted to mention is, is that I really love about this process. Well, first, if I think as all of us are sort of, uh, um, students of innovation, let's say. And so we're used to thinking about, well, where does something fail? Where does a process fail? And the innovation process often fails after we go away. <laughs> In other <laughs> words, you leave it, you leave the customer with these, this prioritized list of needs and you're like, there it is. I, my work's done here. I'm, no, but, th but they've, they often need a, it's just, it's, May, perhaps because we've lived in that world of the customer needs, it's it maybe feels more intuitive to us. But it, as far as what to do about it, it, it just like we said, the, the challenge with framing, the challenge is it's not that it's that difficult. It's that you assume it's too easy, so you don't put the effort into it. And I think as innovation practitioners, I'll just put myself in this category. I think it's easy to assume, well, now once you have these defined problems, now you now you know what to do with it and go forward when I, I love that you stay with them help them to understand it and help them and even have some tools to help walk them through evaluating each one against the, the possible possible ideas i mean i think so again as a student of innovation that, that really seems like you're addressing one of the one of the our pain points as a, as a, in the innovation business um when you do that, um, I want to come back to when when they don't have the ideas. Do you stick with them for idea generation or or for technology scouting or or how? What do we do when we we have a problem and we don't have a, a solution for it? Um, well, we do we do class well, classic ideation sessions, but they are really focused on the pain points. Sure. We, we have, um, I mean, the basic creativity methodologies, brainstorming, uh, reverse brainstorming, brainwriting, all the, the, the bono stuff, if you know that, um, we, uh, we, we do. And, uh, and uh, the biggest difference is that we have a very, very clear brainstorming question directly derived from the pain points. So basically, I mean, you do this whole process of discovery. At the end, you have this, used to have in the past, uh, 100 deck slides with all the analysis. Now we have cut this to one page, two page, and go into a workshop and say, that's what the customers told us. Here are the five, six pain points that came out. We phrase it in a very simple way. Maybe we dramatize and give some context around the pain points and say, ideation question one, 
this. And then we apply these methodologies um, or we give it to an expert who is good in idea, who is, is better in, in ideation. I think that is really um, one, one out of 10 projects would, I would say, we do ideation. Yeah. And nine out of 10, we discuss to prioritize the ideas, select the features, refine the features building really on, on, on what is around in the organization. And one big benefit for the companies is, of this process is we cut time. We cut enormous amount of time, even if it looks longer. Because we see that the, this, there's so much discussion going on, on beliefs, uh, on I think we should do this, and then... Uh, Technician says, no, we should this. And then the sales guy from another country says, no, we need this. So we, 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 this spinning allows to focus on, on, one, on one common denominator, which is this pain point from the customer. And, and even if we are going in a workshop and say, let's forget everything what you know from your country, let's assume just for the day, that's the reality. And we work on it. I tell you, at the end of the day, they love it. Yeah. They love it. I, I've experienced something very similar in what you're talking about time because I've, because I, obviously a common pushback early on is we don't have the time to do this process. We don't mm -hmm. have money. We don't want to spend money on it, but usually it's the time of the time. But I have this, I have the same belief that you, that you just expressed. It's a big saver of time because it's misunderstood how much time is lost when we don't have it, when we don't have agreement on the problem we're solving, and then we also will start to solve it, we'll, or we'll solve it, we'll start developing something, and then you know what, we make a decision, and two weeks go by, it's like you know what, I'm not sure we made the right decision. Let's have another meeting. Let's talk about the, that decision we made, and then yeah, let's redo the. So we, I think it's um it's very much underestimated how much time is lost in, uh, because we don't have enough information. So I've, I've experienced something very similar. Yeah. And one more thing, I love how at the end of your value proposition process, you come up with what's essentially a tagline. I wrote down, you know, one click, 40 eyes. I think that's brilliant. And I, one, um, you know, Jan mentioned we've got this, we're sort of in the P&G Appreciation Society today, but we're, <laughs> we're also a little bit in the advertising industry yeah. appreciation because that's, it's, you know, maybe using some of the, the ways that we advertise to consumers, maybe we need to use those to advertise, to communicate internally, you know, one click, 40 eyes. I mean, that's, that's uh, what, four words. That's, that's pretty brilliant. Um, that's, yeah. yeah, I love it. I think it's a lucky punch. I hope they follow. <laughs> I, well, we'll see. I hope so too. <laughs> but, but this is, I mean, this times, I think it's nice that you mentioned this, Scott, because we often forget that, that, once that we have that concept, I mean, the, the innovation has not yet survived. So, and, and you bet you, you say this again and again, and it helps teams to have this. You're really kind of having a sales story of your innovation because you're going to have to sell it internally again and again and again and again. Because it, it's just, just because you found something and you, you have done all this process and I would agree that it's the right thing to do. There's others to convince and, and, and others to keep on track so that the animation actually becomes real. And there it can really help. I mean, there you get into internal selling 
and 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 having kind of a, a not just a data set but a story to tell is really what convinces people i think that is really what also gets people inspired and on board that's absolutely right and it's it's really our belief that you need the value proposition the sales story internally first to get the budget to get the resources to get the attention to also be proud i work on this 40 i yeah. thing one click 40 i thing uh, that is really that is really um, crucial. Otherwise, innovation dies in corporates very quickly. Yeah, I think maybe this is worth mentioning. I mean, now we're thinking a lot about um, let's say, well, product innovation, which is good and, 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 and good to do. But it's also sometimes, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this. Is is just our output, as it were, isn't used in the spin phase to define features and so on, but really on the communication side mm -hmm. or on the branding side. So maybe you can give a little bit of, a, of, of, of an insight out when we work with other agencies or when we brief agencies that are more into branding and marketing stuff, how they use our, our results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, customer need is the unmet customer need is the basis for communication, for branding. Um, only that can create a really compelling story. And um, what we often do, and that's also part of SPIN, is that we, we help write the advertising brief. For example, we, we give the insights. An advertising brief needs to have this, this consumer insight or this problem uh, put to the agency and says, bring us a, an advertising idea to translate this insight into a copy into an advertising. Um, we've done that, uh, for example, for chocolate, for uh, the relaunch of linked chocolate in the US. Uh, there is new advertising uh, on, on air now since uh, two years or three years, a new campaign, which was directly derived from a project that we did. I mean, they are marked, they're really, they're really, really good in, in, in creating advertising. But if we help them to inform the advertising brief and say, this is the insight that we want to address, this went into the briefing, there was an agency pitch, three top-notch agencies in, in New York uh, were, were like pitching, and now a new campaign is coming out. This is, this is one example, a US example, um, which we did about three or four years ago before the lockdown anyway, because we were there physically. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, and I we talked to about 50 or 60 consumers in the, in the U S in different regions mm. and derived that from that. And, and it's basically the same logic. What's the pain point? What's the promise? And then uh, what are the reasons to believe? Mm. Huh? Yeah. To it. And if you look at this, at this, advertise, this new advertising, um, this lint advertising, then uh, I mean, we see, see very clear, we <laughs> see very clearly what is in there. Of course, there are some other elements which is in advertising which jobs to be done does not solve, like tonality, like uh, executional sure. elements. But the core of the strat of the advertising strategy is defined. I mean, I think that's brilliant. I, I used to have a, a video marketing company and 
this is exactly how I got into Jobs to be done because I was exactly interested in separating this strategic aspect from the creative aspect. And, and this is really what, what got me into this whole thing. And I had actually two, two questions that I might just ask in one go. And the, the first one is, in the value proposition, this is maybe a silly question, but I think it could be interesting. Uh, the You choose a certain pain point, which, as we've discussed, is related to the desired outcomes or value metrics. How do you choose this outcome? Is it uh, based on the, 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 some kind of ordering of the, the outcomes? Uh, so that's my first question. And the second question is, in this approach, in these ads, where does the jobs to be done actually play a role? Because it's not really included in this, in this, this whole scheme you've described of um, promise, proof, and sorry, I've forgotten the last one. Promise, no, pain, okay. proof, promise and proof. Okay, got it. Uh, yeah, so, the, so where does the, the job come in? So that, the two questions. Two questions. I, I start with the second question. The, the job comes in, the pain promise proof is only a short version of, there is a can, this is canvas. And the first box in this uh, canvas is the job. What is the goal that you want to achieve? That's the first box. And in there, there are the jobs. For example, for chocolate, one job that chocolate fulfills, which fits the brand of Lind, is to relax. To relax after a stressful evening or to get a, a quick me moment mm. before the kids come home. So this is, this is the job that was chosen, that we explored amongst many jobs, but this is the one we selected for the value proposition. And then underneath, you have a, a set of, and that's the first question you have, a set of pain points that we have identified. Some have to do with relax, some have to do with other jobs. Uh, they can very often be thematically grouped. Then we talk about pain areas because very often we have two or three metrics which are similar and linked. So we group these pain points into different, let's say, pain areas. And then we create options of concepts. We say, now let's create a, we know that these 15 are relevant pain, pain points in the market. They are, from the quant, we know it. It's these 15. And we tested 100 other ones, but these are the 15. We know it's, this is, this, we assume it's true. Huh? And it is true. And then we group them, and then we create different concepts. Some focus on pain area one, some on pain area two, some on pain area three. And then we have three different concepts, which are, we call them the pure concepts, really focusing on the pains. And then you can decide, is one of these concepts really a route, a route to take? Or you can decide, let's put them into a concept test. In, 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 in uh, consumer goods marketing, very often there is concept testing, which is also a spin tool that, uh, that we offer, which is again going to the user, which is now testing a solution but this, this classical concept. So you can decide, I take, I put all three in, or I create one which combines two concepts and I put that in the test. 
Um, but the pure concepts are really pain oriented and then we very often expand it. I, find, I mean, I find that absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's, it, this is something I, I think is so important in terms of doing a, a great, uh, any kind of advertising, communication, marketing communication. Uh, and I think this is something that's also quite misunderstood is my feeling. And the great advantage with this is that often when you're thinking about doing a piece of communication, piece of marketing, you get confused. You mix up the two, two different things, which are the things I mentioned before. The, firstly, the strategic aspect, and secondly, the creative aspect. And these things kind of get fused together and you don't know anymore why you're, what, what you're doing and why you're doing the things you're doing. A second problem is that if you want to be able to outsource your marketing, if you want to be able to get a, an agency or even any service provider who specializes in some technical field, I don't know, you want to do an animation or do something that's, uh, that's different or get an artist, you know that if you give him this framework, he can fully focus on creating his art. He mm -hmm. doesn't have to be bothered about anything else. And you know that basically, if he takes it into account, he'll be in line, he'll be on target with, so he can fully focus on um, developing his creativity in order to forward this message. So, I mean, I'm totally, on on board on 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 board with this idea of separating this the strategy and the the the, the creative work. So and I think Jonathan, you are you are a communication expert. Um, and 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 let's bring it back to the innovation. A new product is first a story. The new product has to be sold. You can say a a, a product and in a new product is is first of all a story that you tell to the market. And then you get trial for this product and they experience the product and then, and then they maybe like it and then they repurchase and, and so on. But it is a story. And, and when we create an innovation, a feature or an innovation, a whole concept, it is a story and you have to sell it. You have to sell it internally and then you have to sell it to the market. That's why what you describe as se separating strategy from creative art is, is a fundamental principle of, sorry, I have to say, of, 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 of Procter, if an agency comes back and the brand manager says, this is off strategy, mm. this is the biggest shame that an agency can, a Procter agency can uh, happen because the strategy has to be right. The strategy, has, the promise has to address the insight. Otherwise, it's off strategy. And it, so it, it not only allows you to breathe an agency, it also allows you to evaluate the creative work. Mm. Or, also, in, or in innovation terms, the developers come back with features and with, with ideas, come back with solutions, and then it allows you to evaluate these solutions and say, sorry, this solution is great, but it doesn't address the pain point. Totally. And, and also, I think for the, the, the artists or the, the, the creatives who work on these kind of initiatives on the, the, these messages, it's also, it's also nice. I mean, you talk to any artist, they say, well, constraints um, expand my creativity. You know, the more constraints you have, the, the more creative you can be. So, so I really think it's, uh, 
it's a win-win to use a, an overused <laughs> expression. Um, no, but I completely promo. agree. So I think it's it's on the on on the artist's perspective. I mean, I mean, I have no clue. I'm a designer. So I don't know. I don't know if this is true. What I'm going to say, but I mean, if if the brief, the better the brief, the better your work can be. I mean, it's very hard to hit a target that is not well defined, and 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 if you have that, it's 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 okay. It's my guess, but I imagine it's much easier to develop artwork if you really know what what where do I need to go? Where do I need to go? And and I mean, I think it's fine if strategy departments or marketing departments they themselves don't have to creative work that they don't do it themselves. I mean, that's that's fine. But the strategy work that that has to be the internal. I mean, that's what they need to know and do and define. And then, of course, you can give it, give it outside and somebody else can do it. Again, I want to bring it back. It's not just advertising. It's, it's the, yeah. the designer who designs a product or a process. Yeah. It is equally applicable. They have to, I mean, um, in MedTech, for example, they write these requirements or even in IT, the product requirements, which were very often technical requirements. Now we bring the metrics, which is one step before the requirement. And the designers love us because now they know what, what are the requirements. It's very easy yeah. to translate a metric or an outcome statement into a requirement and in a specification. It's, it's, yeah. it's easy. It's really a missing link that we, we create here. Every time you answer, you open so many more new questions for, for me because <laughs> I think... So I have now, again, two questions. The first one is around the idea of a story. So how does, what would be, a, what's the story about? What, what story are we telling when we're telling a story related to developing new products to the innovation part? You said stories are important for the designers and the innovation. Whose story, what kind of story are we telling? And the second question is relating to what you just said, which is, requirements and desired outcomes this is something i've had a bit of trouble understanding what exactly the difference is so maybe if you can say a word on that well the first one is if you take this value proposition canvas one of the next step is to translate this into a half page story which follows exactly the storyline the flow of the canvas huh? when you are a teacher and you will give your, your lesson, it happens that you are interrupted by the fire alarm. Then it's really hard to get back the attention of the 27-year-old pupils. The classroom management system offers this, you know, has this one-click 40i system, has this, uh, brings the attention back instantly. Why? So that's the story. And then there is the last box in the canvas, which we have not talked about, which is now what's the intended action or what's the new habit? What's the new habit, that, the desired habit that we want? So now that the end of the story is go on the website, register, and download the trial version. I mean, again, I mean, this is, this is great. It's, um, I mean, if you look at narrative structure. Yeah. The, I mean, you, you have different different versions, of course, but all 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 of them 
there's a, there's quite a strict structure. So again, there are lots of different uh, versions, but essentially you have you have maybe three or five different uh, phases in the in a in a story in a, in a narrative, and in, in between each phase you have these different points which are important. So you mm -hmm. have, for example, in the middle of a of a film, you have what is often called the point of of no return or something like this. So the the, the when the hero does something and basically makes a decision that he basically goes totally beyond. He can't go back to his previous state. He's gone too far, okay? So he has to uh, pursue the process till the end. At the beginning, you have the call to adventure, which is another important point at the end of the setup of a, of a story. You have a, and, and, and I think, and I've been very interested in this also, how actually there's many similarities as that's why I asked you about these stories between uh, a job, it's the story of a job, as you very nicely exposed here, and a, a story as everyone understands it. When we go to the cinema and watch a film or something like this, you have a protagonist who, in this case, is your user, customer, client, whatever you want to call it. And he is trying to, to do something, the job, there's an obstacle, there's a something happens. Uh, and I, I think it's a very nice way of doing this. And if you're in communication, it can really help with um, designing your messaging because that's an additional thing that will come in. You have the value proposition, but then you also naturally have a, a kind of story that, 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 that is already there. So you also have the narrative that's kind of set up. So I yeah, think it's, it's a very nice... It's integrated, yeah. It's integrated because very often there is a break between, I mean, the developer develops something, then they, they throw it over to the salespeople and they have to sell it. So the salespeople start all over again and, and complain what the developers have developed. They can't sell what they have developed. So you have these conflicts in the organizations. Now, if you do our process and, you, and we manage to include all parties, it becomes clear. So basically the sales story is already written before the product is developed. That's a, an ambition that we have. The value proposition is to sales. It's written, we haven't developed anything. You can even do it without a prototype. I mean, you can afterwards, you can go into prototyping, user testing and, and all this and we're fine, but we can write sales story before we have even touched anything on a product. And if this sales story works, then we have to make sure that our product meets the proof Gets as close <laughs> and, and, and pays into the promise, and the rest is clear. So that's the most extreme one: is to, you design a product without any, you design a sales story without designing the product. And it's a sales story with a lot of confidence and comfort behind it. So it's, I mean, it's easy to make up a story, but it's not a made-up story. It's you can trace it basically back to. The customer interaction, so be that an interview or the survey or whatever that you did, you can trace that one back to the job hierarchy that you did, which you can trace back to the job. So, so sometimes if you use the word story, it sounds, uh, it's something we make up, but that's not the case. It's something we, we've built based on on the facts that we now have, ideally from a, from a quant survey from the market. I want to just want to emphasize, it's not just a story, but right? it's really, I mean, you can make decisions with them. Mm -hmm. You can design real things and you can be certain that if you go in that direction, you will have more success than if you go in another direction. Which again saves time, Scott, as you said, huge time saver, saves resources. It's targets, it's aim, aim right the first time. Um, 
we are, I mean, we love, we like our agile, we like user testing, but we, we also like this solid foundation and then aim, aim right the first time and then go in fast iterations to really develop the problem. Job to be done and, and our process cannot solve everything by no means, but it can give the direction towards the opportunity. And then you have to iterate and test, but never forget the product because during develop, we do advocacy. So we stay in the project during development. And if you are accepted by the clients, sometimes not, sometimes yes, play the devil's advocate if you want. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, fine. But uh, here, is the, here are the customer at the table is basically just the play. Put the customer at the table all the time. And, and we try to play the customer at the table with the data that we have. Because it happens so often that everybody agrees we're customer focused or whatever word they use. And then they turn back to solutioning again, <laughs> just talking about their solutions and ideas that they had anyway. So we haven't talked about the coaching. We haven't talked about the coaching. We haven't talked about how you work with startups. Well, let's put it like this. This will neither be the, I think this will not be the last episode that we do on the Product Quest podcast. And we've, I mean, we, not, we need to know how we can bribe you. So we bribed Lance Bettencourt with ice cream, I think. So <laughs> we'll bribe you to do a second show again, more maybe on the coaching and the startup. I hope it was not... I mean, repetition to what you've heard before from the others. And, and I mean, it's, it, was, it was my perspective and my, my history with it. And also some, some beliefs that, that, that we have in Ventridge, which, uh, which we follow. Uh, some of the things we are very flexible. Some of the things we are more, more dogmatic because we just have seen that, that it, it, it works and has to be that way. And uh, yeah, it's, it's like a 20-year jour- journey. Ventridge is 20 years this year. Spin is by far not at the end. I was about yeah. to say, so if we're, at Vim, if we're at Vimbridge 4.0, what is Vimbridge 5.0 going to look like? Let's finish 4.1 and then we'll see about 5.0. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah. what the promise is clear that it will change. So it, it will change and we will, we will improve. Well, there's definitely a key. There's something that we all, I think, have in common that when you first learn jobs be done, you sort of begin by adopting the best practices at the time. And then when you become a practitioner, you sort of, you have your own interpretation and you sort of start, it sort of becomes, you, you add to this field really. And that's, yeah. that's certainly a common theme in Biot and Jan, you guys have certainly done that a lot. And I've got a lot of notes. <laughs> I've got a lot of notes. So have I. You know, I've got this one quote. I just love it. I'll I'll say this for later, but a new product is a story to tell a story you tell to the market. I thought that yeah. was really good. And that was one of the one of the major themes, I think, and beyond one of the things that you've really really contributed is is everything after the quant. Because with normally when we talk about jobs you've done a project. That's mm-hmm. where we think yeah. of the of the endpoint, and that's like halfway with you guys, and you, and that's also the point at which there's a lot of things to do, and a lot of things can go wrong. And you even just talked about going through development and concept testing, you know, uh, all the way. So I certainly appreciate you sharing all that with us. It was a real pleasure. 
thank you, Bill. Thank you very much for this conversation. Um, I think if people want to know more um, about you and the work uh, of Ventbridge, they can always go to ventbridge.com. can follow you on Twitter at Ventbridge or, of course, just find you on LinkedIn. That concludes today's Product Quest podcast. Um, thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you, Beat, for being here. Please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com and see you next time. Good. Bye. Thank you so much. That was fun. Thank you.